Hey guys, welcome to CarCast and Edmonds Podcast. Uh, here uh, with Alistair Weaver, I'm Matt, the moderator DeAndrea. How are you, buddy? I'm very good, thank you. It's been a busy few days, but uh, nice to be sat down talking Yeah, to it's you. been a busy few days. We're back from Rensport, and you guys have been back in the office uh, uh, chugging away on a, on a handful of new things that we want to get into. Um, uh, I guess we could certainly start with Rensport. So you went up there uh, a little bit earlier, as we covered last week. Uh, you did the ride up in your 911, and as you were basically leaving town, we were just getting into town. Um, uh, I was just getting up there, so uh, a little bit of a of a crossover. Uh, I was there for the weekend, whereas you were there, I think Thursday, Friday. Um, but I did overall, the and you did another fun bit. Yeah. Uh, overall, a fantastic event and seeing how Rensport has grown over over the years. And it really seems like uh, Porsche went all out on how they curated it and the guests they invited. And, uh, you know, ticket sales was off the hook. I heard about 100,000 people over the course of Rensport. I, I heard more than that. And, and for people who don't weren't listening to last week's show, don't know, Rensport is this event that happens once every four years that is organized by Porsche and it's just a huge celebration of all their kind of motorsport triumphs and road cars and everything else and uh, I think it was 50,000 people there on Saturday they were claiming and it was a sellout for the day tickets it was it was just an extraordinary celebration of all things Porsche for their 75th anniversary and anybody who was anybody in the world of Porsche was was there and was flown in for the occasion and even just wandering around the car parks or driving around the roads sort of around the event was just uh, it's a bit like Monterey Car Week, but just for Porsche. Right. It's 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 like the Rolex historics at the track during Car Week. And it's just all Porsches. Uh, and, you know, and they, and they had a stage built and they had some ongoing chats uh, throughout throughout the event. And they had some you know, some music playing at nights and some live concerts. And, and I, I, th I think everyone's going to come home and go, if they dropped the ball anywhere, it was on the merchandise building, which consistently had a two plus hour line, just constantly just two hours plus. And I was just like, I don't know if I need a $42 t-shirt that badly. <laughs> to, it, to, it was to extraordinary. It was, it was always there. The line was huge the whole weekend. Well, I arrived Thursday morning and, I, I mean, I was almost like one of the first people in and there was already a huge snake of people. And I was like, oh, is that like some, you know, mission unveil or is it like you know, some epic old driver that's signing autographs or whatever? And no, that's the merch line. Yeah. And then I went in on Friday and I was like, oh, the line's gone down. That's good. I might get the kids a T-shirt. And it was like, no, no, the line hasn't gone down. It's just that it got so crazy that we've like snaked it in a different direction. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was. I, I never. I, my intent was to go and get the kids a T-shirt, and frankly, I can't. I don't have the patience to keep for two I, hours. I, I didn't even look yet, but it, it came up a bunch of times. Like, can't you just get this stuff online? Can't you just go? To no, the... I don't think you can. I think I was talking to some of the Porsche guys, and I think that was part of it that they wanted to create a degree of kind of exclusivity that if you went, you got access to this thing. But it, it's a, it's an astonishing brand, Porsche, because. I mean, I suppose only brands like maybe Ferrari, Lamborghini, to less extent, can get this. But Porsche is just that much more accessible. So you walk around the car parks and you've got everything from 959s and, you know, the crazy GT3 RSs and GT2s. And there was also some of the the roofs and the uh, 
singers and all that sort of thing. But then you've also got people showing up in, you know, nine old 911s or old boxsters and things that's just that much more accessible. So it's become a, become this brand that can talk to you on lots of different levels. And yeah, they I think they did an amazing job of curating the experience for uh, for everybody. And uh, I wasn't there at the weekend, but I understood. I, I saw how busy it was Friday night and thought it's probably not a bad idea to leave right now because I'd had two great days. But... You know, and Saturday was fantastic as well. But honestly, Sunday um, did die down a little bit. And I think with an event like that, um, I I just feel like, Sunday was a travel day for a lot of people, especially if you're coming from, uh, you know, outside of, you know, the Western states, then, yeah, then you, you know, you don't want to be wheels up at five o'clock in the afternoon and then, you know, you're home at 2 a.m. or you're home on Monday. So uh, it, it seemed like a little bit softer day. But interesting was is as many people as there were at the event it still wasn't difficult to get around. Uh, I think there were some parking issues a little bit uh, just to get in, but overall the, the lines in to the track were not bad because they had both the front and the back basically opened up. So you can go either, either side. And although a ton of people, there wasn't so many people that you couldn't get around and see everything that you wanted to see. You can go, you know, and, and again, to kind of give you the lay of the land is on the infield of the racetrack where the paddock is, and all the race cars are, are set up uh vintage racing and Porsche's tent for their cup series. It's all accessible. You could just, everything is basically a pit pass, right? So you can just walk around and see and talk to everybody. Um, and go into the Porsche Heritage tent and the Tag Heuer tent and and see their displays and how the cars that they curated. It's a very, very cool stuff as well. So and and it wasn't that difficult to get around. Um and then there's a lot I think, of taken on trust, wasn't there? It's like like, yeah. oh, that's a that's a nine one seven and that's worth X million dollars. So just sort of sitting there on the uh on the asphalt with people taking pictures of it. And then oh, next door is like the guy's singer which is presumably his road car to go with his 917 race car. Oh um, yeah, there there was no shortage of million dollar plus cars just around. And then it got a little rain so you know if some of the high end cars got covered and the display cars got covered but you're right if somebody just showed up in their singer and that was their travel car for the weekend as they had their vintage then the singer's covered in dirt and rain and 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 everything is like feels like it's a little thrashed. Uh, but yeah. And, and by the way, when you say, Hey, will you see a nine, five, nine, you'll see seven, nine, five, nines, right? You, you won't just see one of, of anything unless it's a one-off car. You saw the first boxster, you know, Porsche ever was there on display. In, well, the first I mean, ever Porsche was there. Actually, yeah. The well, first ever is... Porsche. Uh, and then, you know, nine Oh sevens, nine Oh sixes. And like you said, nine, five, nines, nine, 17, the Gulf livery, nine, 17, that was in the, the tag booth was just amazing. Um, uh, and uh, all the old drivers as well, which was which was fantastic. And particularly yes. go, the, the, the sort of eras going, you know, going back in time, the, there's a lot of, I don't know, racing, the old thing about racing being different back in the day and the fact that it was so crazy dangerous. You know, so many like epic stories will, you know, will, will suddenly die with a lot of these guys. And uh you know, it's uh, it was it was. I had a chat with Derek Bell, who I've met a met a few times, and Derek is now you know into into his eighties, 
Yeah. Um, you know, five-time Le Mans winner, three-time Daytona 24-hour winner, raced in Formula One with Ferrari, McLaren, Surtees. I'm sort of pulling, you know, this is just the sort of highlights of his career, this sort of epic driver. And he was there and he's now, you know, he's this big, larger-than-life character like a lot of them were in that sort of post-war era. And, you know, he was going around signing autographs and, you know, he's still like, he was. T- I was chatting to him and he said he's got this crazy schedule. He'd just been on a Ferrari event. Now he was here. Then he was off to do something else. And he was off to, he once told me a story that's away from racing, but he, he told me a story, which I, I, I believe to be true, that he was in the Le Mans film with Steve McQueen. And at the end of the movie, they were sharing a house together and Steve McQueen gave him one of the Hoya Monaco watches, but I think they had seven on set and he gave him one. And I believe, and I, I didn't check with him this time, but he's told me this story before on a, on a Bentley event that Derek then lost it. I like that. Steve McQueen probably got them all on the set of the movie and just took them and just started handing them out to people or signing them or doing whatever he was going to do with them. There's, there was a little bit of that back in the day, which was much easier. We talked to a guy uh, about a movie and a watch and uh, uh, I don't think it was a McQueen watch. Maybe it was a Newman watch. And, and, and yeah, they had like called Rolex or something like we need a few of these watches for the movie before there was an actual Paul Newman Rolex, a Paul Newman you know spec and yeah and then you know newman's like hey you know we got these from from rolex and the movie's over and he gave it to like the stunt guy or he gave it to the 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 guy that curated the watches it was in charge of them for the movie he was like oh you get one here you take one and that guy has it still has it so uh yeah an original daytona or something i i was talking to Derek bell and tommy kendall as well and i love those guys they're they're fantastic uh, and we were just talking about all kinds of stuff at the event and racing and, and, uh, Justin's dad, Derek, as you mentioned, and at some point up on the stage, Justin Bell was doing a QA with a couple of guys and his dad and the clouds rolled in and it got very moist in the air. It was like about to rain and the wind was kicking up and they're in the middle of this conversation. And I see Derek Bell just freezing and just start shrinking down into a little tiny, like a little tiny human pod. And I was like, your dad was so cold up there. He's like, I know he goes, I felt so bad. (laughs) The poor guy was freezing up there. He's like, we were just trying to finish up so we could scurry away and, and find, find some more. But Overall, uh, uh, it was a it was a cool event. And then, you know, then they do the big car show and you compete for the various trophies. Um, that's cool to see because all of the cars line up on the straightaway that are invited to compete. And now you can just kind of walk. Basically on the track, on the straightaway in the in the, the pit area. And see all these cars lined up in a row and be able to photograph them and talk to some of the people that, that own them or maintain them uh, and sort of see them compete uh, for various things, just how, how good the car is and how good the history is on that car. Uh, And I didn't realize how that's grown so much, like how prestigious it is to get one of those awards. Uh, A couple of years ago, 
at the last event, Laguna Seca, you know, Adam Carolla went up, he brought his Porsche 935, which the car was invited back and we sent it up there and it was on display. Uh, it was a great location, by the way. It was right in front of the merch line. So literally yeah, thousands I, I of people that. just just stood there for hours and 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 watched the car. And it was also next to the stage where all of the interviews and the and the concerts were. Uh, so it's kind of a great location. And and I went down there a few times to talk to some people and you know about the car and stuff. Um, at the last Ren Sport. We had just Adam had just finished doing some racing and then we sent the car up for the car show. Uh, and then we came back and he was like changing, getting out of the racing suit. And we were just grabbing a beer. And and then we hear over the announcement that the car won the Wysak trophy. And now that's at the time we didn't realize how good that was. But that's that's one of the, the top awards that they have there. So now that we we have that, it's kind of pretty cool to have that to go along with the car. But we just didn't realize the magnitude of it at the time because we were so distracted with other stuff. Uh, and then Adam ran over there and then got up on stage and got his award. Uh, and we're like, I, what? what? What is this award for? And then, it, you know, it took a while for them to kind of explain how great it was. But yeah, uh, and we had never been to the event, so we didn't really realize you know it's like winning pebble beach basically <laughs> for porsches um, the guy who looks after my my 993 um uh jan from vns motors he looks after beverly hills uh classic cars and he actually won he's an incredible restoration of a 964 and it's a competition run for cross dealers in the u.s and he can only use parts in the official porsche catalog so it's a kind of hybrid we talked a little bit about it last week but i went and had a look at it on um, on Friday. So it's a sort of hybrid of the best parts of a 993 with a 964 mm -hmm. and bits of uh, kind of RS in there. And it has a wooden gear stick from 917. It's an amazing piece of kit. And he, he won, he won that award as well. So he was, he was, he was super happy. It's an amazing, amazing piece of work. And yeah, yeah there's a bit of, there's a bit it of like something for everybody in this event. And, you know, there was even a pink, you remember like the pink pig livery, pink very pig, famous sure. livery on the foot. There was a, somebody had, an artist had done a pink pig in the Porsche livery, like a genuine, like life-size pig. But like the Porsche <laughs> pig, there's all sorts of weird stuff going on. There was definitely some weird stuff going on. Um, the other uh, thing that they do at the event, which is very cool, is they don't grid up the cars on the track before they start. They do it off track near where one of the entrance to the tracks is located and they do that so spectators can watch all the cars grid up and not be in a dangerous situation like being on the track not to mention on the track where they would normally line up or where all the garages are and that turned in sort of two vip sections uh to watch the event for different sponsors and stuff so it made it a little bit better so now the the sponsors and VIPs can use those those areas in the hospitality areas, but not make it exclusive to them. So everyone else that had a ticket can just walk up and just sort of the roped off sec roped off section can see all the cars uh, grid up. Um, they did a great job with that. That was cool, and they had done that at the last event as well. So that's where uh, that's where Adam had to grid up. Uh, with his 935 last time. So it was very, very cool to see. Uh, the vintage stuff is great. 
there was a there was a little bit of water on the track throughout the day that made things a little bit exciting especially for the uh, older cars but you want to see something crazy in person as well is the new cup cars the Porsche cup cars on the track uh and obviously with professional drivers that's an exciting race to see because they are going at it that's that's they are on. i mean if we were talking last week that i went out and had a lap in a gt3 rs road car which and then you know obviously the the gt3 r race cars are a, a different beast again but yeah i mean you talk about gt3 cars and everything else but are they you know the race cars but these are not quite that but they are they are serious things and then porsche did as part of the thing i think this is where i was skipping off to uh, as we we're talking last time they re revealed this they basically took the idea of if we could have a GT3R race car without having to worry about all the regulations and everything else, what would we do? And they unveil something called the 911 GT3R Sport, which was a car built to in a tribute to this this event. And I went to, to the launch on Thursday night and there was a big fanfare and the car drove out of the uh, out of the pit garage and drove around the circuit in the dead of night and stuff. I mean, it looks amazing. It's it's a really cool thing. It sounds fantastic. The only problem with it is, you know, it's another one of these sort of super exotic things that they're only going to build 77. It's going to be way over a million dollars by the time you've got it. You probably can't buy one even if you want one. And it's just a little bit... I love it, and I love the fact that it... You know, I like... It's part of me loves the way that it exists, but we're seeing so many of these now. And it's a bit like, okay... It's another million well, dollar car that you'll never see. You know, the last Rensport, they they unveiled the modern day 935, which is like yeah. this similar like concept, this GT3 right? R. Yeah, similar concept. They were going to make limited production. It was going to be a track only vehicle. And yes, it was going to, you know, the top of the list of collectors and, and Porsche guys. And no one's ever seen one on the road because it's not street legal. No one's ever seen one on the track because it's millions of dollars. And uh, you've seen a few pop up and trade at auctions uh, for a massive premium. So, uh, yes, it's saying, hey, we've got a GT3 R Rensport edition. It's a track only race car. It's never going to get dirty. It's only going to be it's an art piece that you trade at this point. Uh, with incredible engineering behind it, but that's kind of where we are with with some of these cars. Honestly, of all the cars that we saw at Rensport, new and old, did you see any of the modern day nine thirty five track only car that they debuted four years ago? No, that's a very good point. <laughs> no, I didn't. Right, not, not, not even not, like not if, one. If you were ever going to drive that car, Rensport on like an exhibition lap or something. I'm sure if you called and said, can I get my car out there? They would figure it out and say, yes, I didn't see a single car out there. And if you were ever going to drive that car on the track, the event this past weekend would have been the, the event to do it. And I didn't see a single one of the 935s. I didn't see one on display. I didn't see one in a trailer. I didn't see one in, in any of the, in uh, the curated tents. I didn't see any at all. And I've only seen them, when they debuted it at Rensport years ago and at a car auction. You're right, Matt. Sadly. <laughs> They're I just like see, I I hadn't thought about it, but I hadn't I hadn't seen any either. So 
yeah, there were more roofs and things like that than there were of were well, I didn't see any of those, so you're quite right. I'm gonna finish before we move on, I'm gonna finish one more Derek Bell anecdote, which yes. I thought was fantastic. We happened to be sat in a bus going back. We were staying in the same hotel. We were sat in a bus just by chance going back to the hotel and we were talking about because he raced for Ferrari in the late sixties in Formula One and I was asking about Enzo Ferrari that he thought was a good guy and everything else. And then he was talking we were talking about the nine one seven the Porsche race car. And I'd seen a picture on Instagram of the chassis without the body panels. And it basically looks like a bunch of, you know, cycle tubes and stuck yeah. together. And he said, yeah, he said they had a, we had a pressure gauge for the chassis. And I said, what was that for? Like, if that goes down, then does that mean that, you know, you lose certain like, you know, handling integrity or what, well, you know, what, what happens now? He said, no, no. If, if that you know if that pressure gauge goes down you're more worried about the you know the thing being on your head so yeah. and i never heard that story before that there's a pressure gauge for the chassis and if it so like you're driving i think we're doing like what 240 miles an hour in those things down the mill side at lamore yeah and you're watching this little pressure gauge not for like the engine but for the chassis, the chassis gonna give up on me yeah it's a death gauge if <laughs> if it yeah. loses pressure you know you're gonna die in a crash and... is basically what he's saying but it's also an interesting thought where it's all tube frame and if it's completely welded and sealed up they add a gauge and then they probably add just some sort of port like an air port you know like a a, a, a valve stem of some sort create some air in it see if it holds and if it holds they get enough pressure to to whatever the, the gauge just enough in the to make it make sense to, to have a reading on the gauge, you know, call it 30 PSI or something. And you're right. If at any point there is a stress crack, any sort of crack enough to leak and have the gauge go down. Now you're, <laughs> now you're definitely in harm's way if something happens, because there's no, there's some structural integrity flaw in the chassis, but I don't, I don't necessarily know if having the gauge makes sense because none of those racers are going to go, Hey, I lost chassis pressure. I need to come in because I feel like it's too dangerous. None of them are going to quit. And all you're doing is just making them nervous and going, now you're at a higher risk than before. Well, Derek was also saying, was talking about his formula one Ferrari. And he said, and you see them one of these old events, he said, I sat, sat in there. And I'm sure he's told this story a billion times, but it's still amazing to like hear it firsthand. And you know, there's never going to be there's never going to be another era. You know, this is these are, these are all days gone by. And he said he had in the F1 Ferrari, he had a fuel tank basically by his right leg going down the chassis, a fuel tank by his left leg, and then another fuel tank basically across his crotch, so almost <laughs> like an H. So I said, <laughs> yeah, basically, don't you sitting in a bomb? He's, yeah. <laughs> there's right. also this argument that. Yeah, Ferrari tend to kill a few less people than Lotus back then. And, you know, you're listening to, I was sort of eavesdropping on some of the other, all the old races, just talking to each other. And I think it must be amazing to have come through. There's others like Jackie Stewart and others that came through, Mario Andretti and others that came through that era. You must feel so sort of privileged to be alive that you race so hard and so long in stuff that was basically a death trap. And now here you are in your 80s, still like being a superhero at these events, turning up, shaking some paws, driving. Derek was driving, you know, joining and driving some of the old race cars. And it's just what a life. 
I mean, but then, you know, going back in time, you know, so many of your friends and colleagues and teammates just died. Oh, and yeah. I don't think you, I don't think you go into racing today. I mean, I've, as you know, I've raced for a bunch of years and, you know, you know, going into it that, you know, you might have a bad crash or whatever. And I had a couple, but not, you never go into it thinking like, I'm going to die. Right. Never. Right. And, and you're right. Back then, uh, the risk arguably higher than racing today because the cars are so much safer. They're maybe faster, but they're, they're certainly safer. Uh, and sort of the, the, sort of the superhero nature of some of those racing drivers back back then if you think about it um at Rensport uh, I was walking around and got a chance to uh to chat a little bit with um excuse me with Danny Sullivan again who I'd met a few times before and again just a fascinating guy and you know an incredible racing career but you know, also in his day, you know, he was in Playgirl magazine. He was kind of a, you know, he was a playboy himself and he was dating supermodels. And and then, you know, he had a couple stints on like Miami Vice. He was on the TV show a few few times. Like, they, you know, he was he was a superstar in his day. Like that guy lived in a, like that's so a good documentary. Dream. You know, yeah. that's a good documentary. I know we talked about, you know, uh, uh, I'm sorry. What's his name? And, and Rush in that movie being sort of a, a James a Hunt, yeah, 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 James Hunt being a playboy. But Danny Sullivan was the guy as well. Like he was, and you know, and you see him now at the track, and he's a, he's an older guy. But you're like, I get it. Like back then, he was, you know, he he was he had rock star status, you know. And I'm sure if you sat down, if I had a little bit more time to start to get into some of those stories, not just the racing stuff, the life outside of racing is is fascinating uh that's a that's a good documentary i think one day is for a guy like that but um all right so moving on from from ren sport uh a couple things that you guys have been tackling um you got into the new bmw the i5 the all-electric bmw and you guys got some uh, seat time now uh, in the mustang dark horse um you were able to take it to your team and and do some tests yeah, this is, I mean, we drove the, so we drove, we've driven every Mustang before, but this is the first time we've had the Dark Horse in particular down at the, down at the test track and able to run the numbers on it. And this was, uh, this was on Monday and um, I actually shot a film, which is coming out um, in the not too distant future uh, when I've done the voiceover. Uh, so this, uh, so it was my first time actually spending proper time in the Dark Horse. I've driven the GT before. And it was really interesting because when this first came out, it was it was really the halo car for the rest of the Mustang range. It was also supposed to be the road car link with the race cars that they've got coming out. And it was sort of like, how do you position this thing? Is it the new Mac one? Is it like a GT three fifty, the 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 Shelby version? Yeah. And so it was interesting to get it on the track. And we also had a, a standard GT there um as well so it's kind of able to drive them both back to back on the handling circuit and run the numbers and everything else so yeah super interesting car and of course also now it's in a world where you know camaro's going challenger's going so this is gonna for the next few years has almost got the market to our to itself we were trying to work out what are the rivals well nissan z nismo maybe but it's only two seats and a, yeah. you know, philosophically a bit different uh bmw m2 well yeah but it's smaller and really ugly so you know actually 
there's not a lot there's not a lot of competition and it looks yeah. it, it's Corvette. It was a, Corvette would be the only thing out there, although two seater and a little bit too expensive. Customer. Yeah, I mean, Corvette's quite a lot more. I mean, the, the Corvette's too. Yeah, I mean, the Corvette you're getting well into the eighties. I mean, the car that we had was fully I, I, loaded. You know, Corvette versus Dark Horse, not necessarily versus Mustang. You know, GT. yeah, I mean, the Dark Horse we had had everything on it. You know, one of those where it's actually a, a press vehicle. Ford had obviously decided, right, just send this thing out with everything we've got so $1,600 Recaro seats and it had it was the dark horse with the track package so it had these kind of Trofeo tires which were more like slicks than than road tires um glad it didn't rain and you know Matt this was a this was a manual but it was coming in at nearly 74 grand like 73 and a half grand which is a yeah. lot of money for a Mustang and the dark horse already is about model for models about 16 grand more than the the GT so yes, you're buying exclusivity, you're buying a you know a bit of cachet and a bit of you know a bit of bragging rights, but for sixteen grand more than a GT, you're actually kind of expecting quite a bit in terms of how it delivers. Yeah, and and interesting. So I drove the GT and I drove the EcoBoost and I drove the manual transmissions and got to play around with the you know the drift brake and and whatever. So um, Dark Horse wasn't available when I was driving the cars. But Dark Horse was meant to be the replacement for Mach 1. And over the years, we've had Mustang Bullet, and then we had a Mach 1, then we had another Bullet, and then we had another Mach 1. Uh, and now Dark Horse is meant to be that. Now, I fully expect a Shelby version of the Mustang, you know, a six-figure car to come out at, at some point, uh, maybe another year or so down the road. But... In the meantime, yeah, Dark Horse is sort of fitting the bill of where Mach 1 would be. So I'm curious if you have some of the numbers, uh, how does Dark Horse compare to the new Mustang GT? And how does it compare to the previous generation Mustang Mach 1 like I have? So these are hot off the press, as we say, because we only ran the car on Monday and we finally computed everything today. So looking at our so our numbers so so there's a little caveat here in that the well actually I've got GT manual I've got GT auto and I've got Mac one uh, it just shows how many cars we actually test test down at the track each year it's about 150 or so um, so Dark Horse runs zero to sixty in four point six quarter mile in twelve point eight at one hundred eleven point six with if which I, transmission. That's with the auto transmission. Okay. Um, if I then go to, um, bear with me a moment. If I then go to the, uh, if I then go to, I've just got, if I then go to like the Mac one, for example, slight caveat that this has, uh, this was the auto transmission. So the 2021 Mac one, we ran zero to 16, 4.1, a quarter in 12.2. So Dark Horse with manual was 4.6 and 12.8. Um, if you then look at the GT Performance Auto, so this is kind of where it gets interesting, right? Actually, I'll give you the manual first. Sorry, I'm jumping around a bit here. So if you have a manual GT, 0 to 64.8, quarter 12.7. If you then go for the Dark Horse, which is not just about straight line speed, but has a few more horsepower, then it runs, it was running 4.6 and 
So it's kind of interesting. The quarter's actually marginally slower here, but at the same speed. Right. And but that's if manual get, versus manual. That's, that's manual closest. versus manual. But then on Monday, we also had the GT uh, with a performance pack auto there and ran zero to six. That's a 10 speed auto, zero to 64.3 quarter mile in 12.5. So you just see the big difference there that you're talking like half a second to 60 just by going with the, uh, going with the auto. It's just, and that's pretty much all in the launch. And then, and then the Mac one auto 4.1 and 12.2. So they're all kind of like in the same ballpark. And you just have to make a decision if you're buying one of these things. If you really want to run run numbers in a straight line, then go with the auto. But like, really, don't buy the yeah. auto. The right. manual's it fantastic in all of these things. It's such a nice gearbox. And you're never going to buy them. Like, don't buy an auto. You're never going to buy them. You know, the whole point of these things is it's the last like bastion of old school fun. Crazy V8. I, sounds and that's incredible. why that's why I got my Mach One is I wanted the manual transmission and yeah. I wanted the Tremec transmission and 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 I wanted all the handling stuff that sort of the best bits of 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 at the time Bullet GT350 and GT500. Um. So yes, what we weren't able to do was go Mach One manual versus Dark Horse manual or Mach 1 Auto versus Dark Horse Auto. We didn't get an apples to apples uh, comparison uh, uh, there yet, but we can start to see what's sorry. going on with the numbers. And we've uh, only oh, tested four of them. No, yeah. and the EcoBoost. <laughs> yeah. We also tested the EcoBoost as well. Uh, it, it's tough to get all the different configurations. You 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 would just run out of I mean of time. even the EcoBoost just just for purely for context because everybody like, you know, belittles the EcoBoost as a you know, as a higher car. You know the EcoBoost is running five point six to sixty and fourteen point two for the quarter, so it's not, it's not as fast, but it's still not too far behind. I mean, where the where the um, where the dark horse did score did score uh, was just it's especially on the tire on 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 the tires it has. It's a Trofeo R's if I remember correctly. They are they are super sticky, so it ran one point one two G on our skid pad, which she's only point point. 0.02 better than the Mac one. The Mac one did 1.1. Uh, a GT performance auto did 0.98. I mean, that a lot of that's in the tire, but it's interesting. That's where you get the big step going for the tires and also the revised suspension and stuff to in, into the dark horse. But we were kind of curious going into it, how different this thing was going to feel because they've done a lot to the suspension, the tires, they've changed quite a bit on the car to justify their, the jump in price. And we wondered whether it was going to feel more like a Shelby without the snake and without quite as much power. And the yeah. reality is it it doesn't. It feels like a slightly faster, slightly sharper, slightly cooler looking, lot more exclusive version of a of a Mustang GT. It still has that kind of Mustang feel to it. The Shelby that we have, the GT five hundred that Edmund still owns feels much more like a kind of track orientated sports car much more than you than you, you you'd think and so you think about like the transition from the way that it pushes into into the way that it then starts to oversteer it's everything is very tight very tied down in the in the uh in the dark horse you still get that mustang feeling where you turn in and the whole thing sort of takes a set 
And then as you come back onto the power, it's sort of, so you almost like wait for it to settle and then you kind of come back into the power, at which point it's actually quite hard, even with 500 horsepower to get it to, you know, to get it to slide. So it's, um, it's super capable, but it's not quite as, as stiff, even in the track settings, it's not quite as stiff, not quite as track orientated as we thought maybe it would be. And maybe that's also about Ford saying, well, there'll be a Shelby, there'll be this and that. So, you know, maybe also the aftermarket will have some fun with it going, you know, taking it a step further. So on the track, it was a bit like it was fun, but it wasn't quite as sharp as maybe we anticipated, but it's a great road car. I mean, it's just fun. But then so is the GT, you know, GT manual is still a really fun car. So you buy the dark horse because it looks cool and you really want one. I don't think you buy it because it's like a quantum leap over the standard GT. Yeah, right. And I, I haven't dove into it enough to know if there were some significant changes that are hard to replicate, like steering rack or, you know, chassis stiffening or something like that, that might be a little bit different. Kind of like the conversation we had with the engineers about Bronco versus Bronco Raptor. And it was like, all of the mounting points for the chassis are are no it's it's not i mean most of it steering rack is beefed up and i was like yeah that that's not really stuff you're gonna be able to buy in the aftermarket uh you know so you want bronco raptor if you're gonna go off-road otherwise you don't need it but dark horse i think you're right still a lot of bolt-on parts and calibration uh so you could start with gt you could start with ecoboost and work your way up you can do some modifications you can add superchargers you can do all that yeah most of it's just uh, most of it's just suspension tuning, breathing, bolt-on parts, that sort of thing. Yeah. Flaps. So it's uh, yeah, the aftermarket will have fun with this, and you know that's part of the 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 charm. I mean, I think it's a it's a good Mustang. It's uh, you know, I'm glad they're still making it. You know, they're not going to sell that many, but they will sell enough. And you know, they've got a few years to run. And if you want like an old school V8 with a fantastic manual gearbox and it still feels big and heavy and all that, all that stuff. And you can still got, you know, it's still got a big trunk and you can still throw the kids in the back seat and it's a Mustang, right? It's, um, it'll do 74 grand though. Like that's the only thing like you're getting, particularly the interior you're getting, you go 74 grand. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you you know what? It'll do well. And what else I anticipate will do well is if they take the new Coyote engine out of that car, uh, either the stock GT version or the Dark Horse version, and make that available as a crate engine in the, the Ford Performance Parts catalog. I think that'll do well. And one of the main, main reasons why is the dual throttle body setup, because now there's symmetry in the engine and everyone doing a coyote swap or any sort of hot rod or Bronco or a custom build like we see at SEMA, you would always have to go from the single throttle body and, and do like a 90 degree turn because you would need the mass airflow sensor to work. And if you split it and created symmetry, it was very complicated to do and difficult to tune. And the only way to do it, you couldn't do it with the Ford performance pack. Really. You you'd have to, do like a holly fuel injection or something and then you can do it based on map instead of mass airflow uh you can do manifold pressure and you can kind of split it off and 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 do it that way but very difficult to to tune but if ford says hey we got dual throttle body version 
and we've got performance pack and harness to make it work, uh, then you can get pretty creative and have some cool symmetry. I, honestly, just for the aesthetics alone, not to mention you get a little bit more power and you get a nicer engine, a newer engine. I think there's gonna be a lot of swaps with that if they make that available. So we'll see what wow. happens in a month. Are you going to SEMA? That's a question. Yeah, uh, I've just been I've just been asked to be on a panel actually. Um, and they sent me and said, "Can you fly out on October the 31st?" And I was like, "If I flew out on October the 31st, my wife and kids would kill me." Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I'm not. Um, but I'm going to fly in. I think next morning on the first. So uh, I'm on a panel talking about the uh, the future of uh, you know like the aftermarket industry in the world of EV and everything else, which will be kind of fun to do. So. I'm going to be there. It's always a great show. It's nice to nice to see everybody and always kind of blown away by the the the, the scale of it. Yeah, there's one it, show in Europe at Essen in Germany, which is similar. And that uh -huh. is also, you know, you get those big German tuning brands like the Brabus and Lorenzer and Hark and all those guys. Yeah, right. Which is a different and, it, it, you know, that's a slightly different market. But yeah, I'm always blown away by SEMA, just the, the money and the scale and just what's going on. It's It's great. And it'll be the first year of SEMA Fest. So if you stick around to the following weekend, there's, you know, the big concert series and car shows and drifting and, and, you know, uh, I don't know, Third Eye Blind and Incubus and Imagine Dragons and they're, 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 they're doing it. And I'm excited to see it. I don't expect it to be perfect. Uh, it's the first time for them trying to do an event like this. So I'm going to cut them a little slack. I'm sure it's going to be fun. Uh, and, and yeah, it'd be nice to see if uh, Ford would, you know, debut of a new a new crate engine new coyote crate engine certainly like a phase out one of the older ones they have a couple generations of them already but it's kind of an interesting thought before we wrap up i had mentioned the bmw because bmw is getting into the mid-size sedan as an electric vehicle now the five series is a, is a good product for them and i think the size of five series is is a good size good platform for ev what were you guys you guys got a chance to drive it what's your take on it yeah, I think we're, um, yeah, we're hoping to get one uh, over here quickly as well because this was driving it over uh, overseas. I mean, basically, BMW has taken the opposite route to Mercedes. So BMW is saying we're going to do like we did the seven series. We're going to do a gas and an electric version of the um, of the five series, and then basically take your pick as to whether you want to buy an EV or a gas car, which is an interesting route because Porsche, Mercedes, everybody else is saying. You can't do that. It's too compromised. We're going to build EV specific like the EQE and Porsche is going to do an EV Macan and not do a gas car. So it's interesting. It's an interesting like strategy from BMW. I mean, they don't sell many of these anymore. I mean, we think it's a good thing. You know, it's a good thing overall. Um, but, you know, most of the interest will be in X5, not not i5, you know, or not 5 Series anymore. Uh, we are, though, going to put together uh, you know, obviously there's a new E-Class this year. There's a new 5 Series. So we are going to get both. We're looking forward to getting both of them in, back into the US and, you know, putting them head to head. I, it's it's not it's not bad looking. I, I like I like that it's got sort of the <laughs> tame down. with faint praise, isn't it, for BMW design at the <laughs> yeah. moment? Yeah, it's still got, I mean, it's there's... still got like a grill that looks, the, the grill still looks. It's just too much black or something that's going on. Yeah, it's like it's a BMW a merged with like... a GTR and it's like it's a little weird and and you know, so it it's yeah, it's it's not a home run on design, but none of BMW is so far. <laughs> yeah, and, and they they sort of argue their argument is like the five series is very evolutionary and you know, it's an executive car, isn't it? Um and so you've got the <laughs> I four, then you've got the 
i5, the i7. Um, and then, you know, you have the iX, which is more of the kind of bespoke electric car, which is kind yeah. of ground up EV, which again, I think is a fantastic car. We have one on, on our on our fleet and we're running it for a year. I just, I, I can't get on with the exterior looks, but the interior is fantastic. And, you know, we're pretty good fans of it. So, uh, you know, we only drove the i5, so we haven't driven the the gas car yet. Um, but, you know, we're- And then we, all... we've got two versions, right? We've got a, a, a long range and a performance one with a little bit shorter range. We got 295 miles on the high end, 270 on the low end. And then we've got zero to 60 in 5.7 seconds or 3.7 seconds. Yeah, and this is something that that BMW tends to do as well. And you know, we'll get it back into we'll get it back into the US and put it through the you know the Edmunds EV range test to find out how it's um, you know how it really delivers. Honestly, we tend to beat the EPA, so you know th those are those are pretty good figures. Uh, I, and, you and know, forgive me, it was two seventy to two ninety five on on the E Drive forty engine, but when you get to the to the to the bigger motor it's 240 to like 256 miles yeah. so it's basically 240 on the low end to 295 miles on the high end and it depends on your level of performance that you're going for uh, yeah exactly where your ego sits to be honest yeah <laughs> really and your and your wallet <laughs> yeah where your ego and your wallet sits right yeah um anyway it seems it seems kind of interesting it's it's a it's it's not a bad looking vehicle and you're right the interior is is, is going to be nice um We'll we'll see, we'll see where BMW goes with it, and you know, look, BMW wants a sporty sedan out of it as well. So when you get into the fast version and it's five hundred and ninety three horsepower, and you know, I'm I'm sure it's going to scoot along pretty well. Yeah, and there's there's rumors of a it can't be MI five, can it? That's the British Secret Service, but it would be um I don't know what they're going to call it I five M or I don't I five M. It seems like MI five would be perfect. Yeah, exactly. Um, James Bond was technically MI six, but uh, yeah. Yeah, well, for a stint there, he did drive a BMW. He did, but he was paid a lot of money to drive it, and he never looked at home in it. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably a good place to wrap, Matt. Yeah, I think we're going to wrap it we up. We get um, into James Bond and terrible uh, terrible merchandising deals later. Uh, guys, thanks so much for listening. You can check out Edmunds.com, and you can check us out at carcastshow.com. Uh, you know where we are on social media, so we won't uh, hit that again this week. We're just going to wrap things up because we both got other meetings to jump into. So um, thanks, Alistair. Appreciate it. And until uh, next time, keep the air in the spare and the bag in the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit carcastshow.com.